This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Leap Coffee Roasters. Check out their recently redesigned website, www.leap.coffee, and celebrate your love of coffee and of love with a bag of wedding blend, which you can order on www.leap.coffee. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, where we interview the coffee professionals of the West Coast, and we try to get a little coffee smarter in the process. Today's guest is Mike Arquinas from Mostra Coffee Company. Mike is one of the founders and partners in the always expanding Mostra empire. In season one of this show, some of his co-founders and co-owners, Bev and Jay Lynn, joined to talk about the company's origin story and how they were inspired by their mission efforts in the Philippines. Today, I learn more about Mike, who is an accomplished chef, the original head roaster, and how he fits into the Mostra team. We talk about his experiences with flavor and how that has helped him create an incredibly broad and influential beer and coffee collaboration program. And if you want to multitask while listening today, check out at the lab dining on Instagram to see his continued efforts in food and of course, scroll through the at Moster Coffee feed to see all of the updates on their new locations, including 4S Ranch and Bankers Hill, not to mention all of their coffee and coffee beer releases. Plus, be sure to stay tuned after this interview for a breakdown on Michelin stars and some big roast West Coast breaking coffee news. Right now, I hope your coffee mug is full because it's time for another roast West Coast coffee interview. Well, welcome to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I appreciate you being here. Um, I had a great time talking to Bev and Jay Lynn last fall, so I'm excited to talk to you and learn more about Mostra and specifically the coffee and beer collab thing. Let's just start with you. What's your backstory? Before Mostra came along, you know, what were you doing? You know, What was your passion? What, what was your life like? So I, I guess to really go back, I, I, we can take it back to uh, my roots. Is I'm originally from the Bay Area, from Vallejo, California. I was actually born in Connecticut. Uh, I was a Navy brat, moved when I was two over to uh, Alameda and then for a year and then moved to Vallejo. So about three or four, I moved to Vallejo. Uh, that was my childhood. As a child, as a, as a adolescent or as a teenager, my goal was to be a nurse. I'm Filipino. My mom's a nurse. Cousins are nurses. That's kind of the path I chose and it was already decided by my mother. So went to school, came down, did some community college in the Bay Area, and then moved back down and went to school here, educated myself. I left nursing six months before I was supposed to graduate with my bachelor's to pursue cooking. So that's kind of where I'm at now, as well as most obviously, but I decided to educate myself. I went to the Art Institute of San Diego, which is no longer here, and I got my bachelor's in culinary arts and management. That's kind of a, a jump from from CNA to cooking. Were you doing anything like on the side while you were in, in nursing school? Like how did that, what inspired yeah. that jump? Did a lot of sales gigs. I excelled at sales, sold electronics, sold cars, did catering, worked in and odd jobs in kitchens, did a soup kitchen for a while, feeding the homeless in Vallejo. So, but yeah, that I decided I want to cook for people. And my mom was like, 
no, you should not do that. <laughs> you know, because nursing to, to, you know, she immigrated here. So she knows how hard it is to, to get a well-paying job, respectable paying job. She cut her teeth in Brooklyn, you know, in the 70s, which was a, a totally different time and, and place than it is now. And she worked hard, very hard. So for me to say I want to move from a very well-paying potential job to serving people food was not her thing. But I decided that that was my path. I love having the ability to create experiences for people through food, you know? So so that's what I did. I, I worked in and around San Diego. I worked, uh, I traveled to New York. I traveled to Chicago, cooked in New York at the Michelin level, uh, came back. Um, and then I, I worked in Chicago for for about a year at, at, at a at two Michelin pl- uh, star place called Charlie Trotters and came back to, to San Diego and started the lab dining sessions and wanted to provide that kind of experience, high level, beer paired, coffee paired, cheese paired, multi-course, multi-sensory experience for this, for San Diego. Not saying that there was not that kind of experience at that time, but at a, at the catering level, there wasn't. So that's kind of where that came from. We've kind of traveled in an opposite path. I've also lived in Chicago and Brooklyn, and I grew up in the restaurant industry with my family. Oh, very and cool. it was always assumed that I would go into that and I did everything I could to get out of it. Yeah. And uh, then I eventually found myself back in it because I was like, oh, that's where I wanted it to be. Right. And now right. I'm obviously doing this, but it's, you know, it's still adjacent, you know, I'm still related to the, to the community, but right. So then you're, you're here, you're creating these experiences around food. Yes. How does Moster come into the picture? Mostra comes into the picture. I, I'm sure you heard Bev, uh, Jillian took a trip to the Philippines. It's a third world country, a lot of poverty, wanted to f- uh, figure out a way how to help, right? That was, they were there to help build homes for the homeless. And they noticed that, hey, there's a bigger need to help homelessness and poverty out there. So they were trying to find different ways on how to, how to do that. And, and coffee was one of those ways. That the problem was is that Jillian and Bev weren't really like coffee drinkers, <laughs> and um, they didn't know much about coffee. To be quite honest, they were Starbucks drinkers. So uh, I came into picture. I met them via uh, mutual friends. I did a charity event uh, for one of their causes, and we just stayed in touch. They reached out to me because they saw that like I had a blog at the time, which blogs were a thing right back then. <laughs> yeah, and they said they they wanted to meet and wanted to potentially start a coffee company and i was like sure you know let's let's do it i love i love the idea behind it and i love the mission behind it because it's right up my alley always trying to give back especially to your roots right and that's kind of how mostra in a nutshell was formed was was just the 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 mission and the drive and the passion to be able to you know abolish poverty big task right? Yeah. Moving mountains, but via coffee, the vessel. So that was my goal. So being um, that, that flavor is my background. I decided that, okay, fine, I'm going to roast coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I attributed, uh, and I, I, I guess I learned on my own. I used to, I used to uh, roast coffee in a cast iron pan, modified popcorn popper. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent nerd at heart. 
It's interesting that you you say it's a flavor thing. So did you associate the idea that you came from a food background where you're experimenting with flavors and, and putting them together? Did you at the time think that that'll just translate into coffee and coffee flavors? I, I think flavor first always is what I've been taught, right? And I still stand by that. But it's also because um, when you're roasting coffee, it goes through a journey just like when you're roasting a chicken or a prime rib right? The process of caramelization, Maillard reaction, sugar, sugar browning uh, on the surface. And, you know, it goes from a raw product to a cooked product. So while, you know, a roasted chicken is very savory and it's chicken, I go to uh, that coffee is more of like baked goods or, you know, uh, spices, you know, that's what you get, you know, so same. So that's how I, I approached it. I approached uh, roasting and obviously asked a lot of questions, read a lot of books, a lot of forums, and to understand uh, how each, how temperature and heat and agitation affects coffee. But you had the foundation from food and you're being a little humble. You guys were the 2020 roaster of the year. So you've come a long way from cooking in a cast iron pan. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky. We're very lucky. Uh, that opportunity presented itself. Uh, our, our team is amazing. So definitely uh, it was a team effort. And, you know, just to even think that we would be in position to compete for that was, you know, till this day, pretty, pretty humbling. So, Well, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was about the beer collaboration the efforts that you do and I mean, I have no background in this. Nobody asks me about Roaster of the Year or anything like that. But I think that there might be a little bit of where beer collaborations kind of got your name out there into a wider sphere because you, you've done so many of them. You and I actually met once uh, years before. Uh, I don't, I doubt that you'd remember. But uh, St. Archer was doing a Tuscan grain release that Moster Coffee was in. And my friend Greg was the head brewer there at the time. Uh, but he kept talking about the coffee. He didn't even care about his beer that night. So was probably like 2016. So you've been doing this a while. Yeah, Greg uh, went on to do Juneshine. Yeah, he's at Juneshine now, taking that program. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Skyrocketed up. How did that first beer collaboration come about? Uh, what is it, 2016? So six, seven, you know, eight years ago. Yeah. And then how did that grow into this program now where you've done beer and coffee combinations with, I think, almost like 200 breweries? I kind of stopped counting around 100. Yeah, so... 2000, actually 13 was our first uh, collaboration was with Carl Strauss, one of my, one of my good friends, uh, Derek, um, who uh, people know him from uh, being the opening brewer from Abnormal Beer Company to opening head brewer. And then now he, he spearheads uh, Moxa Brewing up in Rockland. So very talent. Derek Galanosa, right? Galanosa, yeah. So a quick, quick little story. He actually, when I was doing the lab dining events, he was homebrewing in his mom's kitchen floor for my events. So, for example, I would say, hey, uh, I need a, a beer that is uh, that would work well with a Thai dish, right? Thai-inspired flavors. And he was like, perfect. Give me the ingredients. On. I'll see you in three weeks. So Thai-inspired, heaven-wisen, as an example. So we kind of, I want to say that we kind of uh, started that movement in terms of being able to take beer, because it's always about wine, right? Wine, spirits, cocktails. And I wanted to change that because Derek was so passionate about it. I was like, let's, let's explore beer. And, and San Diego is 
probably at that time, not necessarily the beer capital of the world yet, but it was on its way up. How did that grow into other breweries wanting to use your coffee, creating that partnership and and just exploding the way it has? Because I don't know of any other coffee company that's worked with as many breweries as you guys have. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it was just a, I like to think that as a, as a cook, as a chef, you got to be a problem solver. So I feel like uh, at that time, there was a need for uh, better coffee in beer. Why? Because there were breweries locally, you know, paying attention so much to the brew process, the water quality, hop selection, uh, grain selection, so on and so forth. But then when it becomes a, if it ultimately becomes a coffee stout and they just go to Vons and get coffee off the shelf, that's kind of like, and coffee is not a subtle flavor. That is a pretty aggressive and dominant flavor to play with. So I figured, hey, like, why don't we try to custom tailor coffee, kind of like a, a fine Italian suit to a person, but for the beer, right? Hmm. Really pay attention to the brewer and understanding the brew process, right? And then providing a service, right? And, and saying, okay, based on what you're telling me, you need this kind of roast and um, you need to steep it in the beer for this amount of time because it's this either coarse or whole bean or cold brew. And we're going to extract and we're going to potentially get these flavors out of it with everything, all encompassing all the variables, all controlled on our end to provide a product in the end that will best suit your project. It's really interesting how it kind of comes back to that flavor for you, even in that process, you were, you were thinking that far ahead. Yeah, yeah. It seems pretty simple when you think about it though, right? <laughs> you're going to use high quality ingredients, you're going to get a high quality result. It does seem simple, but it feels like there's always so many other things that get in the way of that, or you get distracted uh, from those yeah. simple, simple things. And True. Coming from a food background, I'm always appreciative of simple, simple recipes. Because as a on the management side, I was always thinking, well, if it's got five re- five ingredients, that's cheaper than if it's got ten. And sure. I can <laughs> I can sure. work with that. Sure. But you still want to have the five best ingredients, most, which most is, definitely. is the key. Uh, I've been actually noticing that recently, you guys have been doing collaborations that feature more flavors that kind of represent uh, some of your Filipino heritage. In particular, I just saw one, uh, I think I'm pronouncing this right, but uh, Buko Pandan, is yep. that right? From, with Harlan Brewing, a milkshake IPA. So I kind of have a, a two-part question is one is that's a flavor, I believe like coconut, uh, kind of like a coconut jello is like a traditional Filipino drink, uh, dessert. Is that right? Uh, it's like uh, Buko's young coconut. So, young coconut? Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a really unique flavor. How do you start? creating that idea to go into mixing into a beer yeah and you know what does it mean to you to kind of be representing your filipino culture in coffee and now in beer together uh well i'll answer the second question first it's it means a lot uh kind of again you know circling back to where we came from our roots when i create i i derive a lot of my ideas from past experiences and nostalgia right whether it's cooking in the kitchen with my mother or my father, or um, being at a family party and, and eating, you know, babinka, which is like our like our coconut uh, sponge cakey type of type of uh, dessert pastry, and wanting to revisit that 
you know, a little down the line in my career to, to hopefully, um, you know, bring attention to show that how amazing Filipino flavors can be, right? Whether you know them or not. In terms of like putting them in beer, I don't know, man. It's, 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 to me, it's, it's just like the kitchen, you know, you, you have to see what sticks, but at this level, like luckily that we've had the opportunity to work uh, with over, with over to do, we, we've, had the grateful opportunity to be able to work with breweries, talented breweries to do over a thousand beers worldwide. Wow. So we have a lot of experience. So I kind of have an idea of what would work, what would not work. I always have my ear to the ground uh, in terms of uh, what's hot, what's not. Right. So, and that just comes with repetition and practice. So with the Buco Pandan, it was the, it was the, the perfect storm with uh, my buddy Nick over there, who is the uh, director of brewing operations. I've known him since St. Archer. So, and he allowed me to just kind of um, just create and, and kind of throw ideas out there. But, you know, at the end, it's, it's those guys, man. Those guys created something beautiful and amazing. And, and really um, people are always asking about it. And I'm like, I, you know, it's not up to me. I just think there's such a we've come such a long way in in beer and also in coffee just with an educated consumer but also the willingness to try new flavors. Absolutely. That one stood out even to me even in a time where people are really trying a lot of new things. It's just not something you see every day. It's not a flavor no. or a style that you're going to see in beer very often and Yeah. And truthfully, one thing I thought was really interesting was how that experience with that beer could inspire somebody to try to find out what that means yeah. you know what's the story behind it and possibly try that that dessert yeah. and learn more about that your culture's food filipino absolutely food. absolutely if you follow it like a lot of our projects there's a lot of storytelling in it mm -hmm. to help you know the conversation right in terms of what flavor is this where do i get it from where does it come from you know so that's kind of the idea behind a lot of the, the projects we do, whether it's food, whether it's beer, whether it's coffee. You know, we always like to attach a story to it because we feel like the better equipped in, in knowledge-wise that we provide to the public, the better they'll understand not only the methods of the madness, but also our business and what we're about. So, You guys have 4S Ranch now, which has yes. a beer and wine license. Yes. Has how has that changed your beer program? Does it inspire you to do more stuff internally, or ha have you learned some new things about what people are expecting when they come to a place that has beer, or you know, just how has that changed the program? Yeah, it's a, it's a whole different world. Beer buying, beer curating. Even though we've been a part of so many amazing projects, it's still this is completely new, and we're still learning the game in this sense. But the response has been amazing. The public has been coming full force uh, every time we put out an event or release. And a lot of people are just like, it's about time, right? Because <laughs> we've been doing it for so many years. But, you know, we, we're a coffee company. We're a coffee company. And we're a coffee company that so happens uh, to provide uh, high-quality coffee for amazing breweries. So to us, it made sense. But to the public, they're like, finally, you know? So, yeah. We, had, we actually had a question from a listener that was inspired by a social media post from Mostra. Francis Perez is the name of the person who reached out, and it was about barrel-aged coffee beans. Uh, they saw a post that you guys did a collab with Horace Aged Ales, 
and was wondering about how barrel aging kind of affects the coffee bean flavor. And then also, I kind of was wondering just how the beans' freshness and quality is impacted. Are are they roasted before or after they get put in that barrel? Or Yeah. And I think she also wants to know if she can still get her hands on some of those. Yeah. Uh, great question. Barrel aging coffee is something that I've always wanted to do because I am a, a beer fanatic, bourbon fanatic historian. And I love being able to take a product and refine it. I think it comes out a little more, uh, it's different, it's refined in our, in, in our opinion and unique. So green beans um, at its raw form are very, they're porous. So they accept flavors really well. I'm not gonna say we were the first to do barrel aging, but I think we were the first to really, really put pen to paper when it came down to, to barrel aging and really taking these, these R&D, the R&D process really seriously. And um, yeah, so we don't roast and throw the beans in the barrel. The most important thing to barrel aging is knowing your source of the barrel and where it came from, what was in it previously and for how long. Um, and then from there, we have an, a barrel uh, grading process that we do in the warehouse. We take a flashlight, we look if there's residual moisture in the bottom, we look at, um, you know, how wet the barrels, is it dry? Does it make sense to, to actually do barrel aging or should we make furniture out of it? So uh, once it passed the sniff test, we select a, a coffee that will lend itself to that barrel and what was in it before. When we do barrel aged beer that coffees, they previously had a spirit in them beforehand, right? And then the beer was poured, the, the, I'm sorry, the spirit would be dumped out, bottled, sold, they would send that to a brewery. The brewery would, you know, put a stout or barley wine in it, and then they would age it. They would dump it. They would bottle it. They would sell it. They give that to us. So we're essentially the the third manifestation of this barrel. So then we would select the coffee. So if it's a bourbon barrel, really chewy, tobacco smoke, you know, even coconut you get in wood, we'll select a coffee that will either cut, contrast, or complement that flavor. We add the barrel, we load the barrel up, we tag it, and then the, and the tag will read uh, what kind of coffee, what barrel, where it came from, what the date is, and then how many pounds went into it. We'll also check uh, moisture content of the bean periodically. Our production staff uh, builds these, uh, we have barrel racks, but they have casters on them that they just drilled onto the barrel rack so that they can rotate the barrels. Before that, it was just me in the back alleyway rolling it around <laughs> like a madman, like I was uh, Donkey Kong, you know, with his barrels. So grateful for the production team to kind of put that together. So now it's a lot easier being able to agitate. So we don't fill it to the top because you need room for the beans to, to, to tumble and to have better uh, surface to uh, bean contact. Then we will have uh, Ryan, who is our director of coffee, will pull samples periodically. 50 gram samples roasted on our, our portable sample roaster, and then we'll cup and taste and we'll uh, share our notes with each other. When we feel that the barrel and the coffee have done their job, and there's a terminal velocity of, not terminal velocity, a terminal, kind of like terminal velocity where you can only reach, like this is the flavor and this is what it's gonna be, and it's not gonna get any better, right? It can only get worse. That's when we, we uh, Nick, uh, who's the, the roast-gician, he's our head roaster. He took over uh, from myself uh, a few years back, and that's when he does his magic, and he'll roast, and we'll also cup that, decide 
what works best, then we go to full production roast. When I first asked this question a few minutes ago, I was, I just was not thinking it all the way through. I wasn't thinking about the whole process that goes into the, just the barrel before even the bean is introduced to it at any point. And so that's a much more intricate process than maybe I was anticipating. Yeah, and there's a lot of other things that we do, but that's pretty much the gist of it. That's pretty cool. What about you? Uh, is there anything about you that you think is interesting as far as how your relationship with coffee has changed since you've started this process and beer has changed since you've started this process? I have much more respect for the industry, right? When you when I, when I you tell people you're in the coffee industry or I tell family I'm in the coffee industry, they just think that I have like a coffee cart or something and we pull shots and we make lattes and stuff. So I have a new, I have an, an ongoing respect for the coffee business. And yeah, so, so and in terms of beer, like I take a lot of what I do, I take pages and snippets of, of my experience in beer as a beer nerd, right? From the beer industry. So respect is always there too, as well. We owe a lot to the beer industry, which is why we, via beer, via our events, via our anniversary party, uh, we're always paying homage and, and nods to to that industry because they honestly helped us a lot along the way. Yeah, the idea of teaching a teaching customers about the process of brewing beer kind of lends itself to the process of creating a craft coffee, doesn't it? Absolutely. Anything else that we didn't cover today that people should know about Mostra or just about coffee in general or about what you guys are doing over at the new location? New location. I mean, it's we're we're cranking. We have a bakery opening pretty soon. Uh, we have our beer program, as we talked about. You know, be on the lookout for more events, more experiences, beer dinners, wine dinners, you know, sake dinners. We are in the process of opening a new location in Bankers Hill, so uh, that is coming online very soon. Congratulations! I didn't know about that. Thank you, thank you. Uh, beer, wine, obviously coffee. Right, and to kind of provide that that Mostra touch down in um, uh, Bankers Hill. So we're growing. We have a lot. We have a lot going on. It's never a dull moment. In terms of me, I mean, I'm still a nerd. Still love coffee. Still love food. Still love beer. Still love spirits. I mean, same. Just getting a little older. That's all. And not to get too personal, but how does mom feel about it now? Well, uh, she's happy. <laughs> she's happy. She. She, you know, Roaster of the Year helped, right? Yeah. But it's funny because there, there's a, there's on, on cable, you can buy a channel called the Filipino channel. It's called, you know, short for uh, TFC is for short. And, you know, she's one of those hard asses. I'm sorry, but <laughs> she would literally won't tell you she's proud of you, but she'll just pat you on the back and say like a job, you know, doesn't matter. Roaster of the Year, good job. But once we made it on TFC, she was just like, my son and his partners have made it. And I was just like, I'll take it. Hey, congratulations. Absolutely. It's always good to have that, uh, that reinforcement. Even if you know it's there, sometimes it's nice just to hear it. For sure. For well, I appreciate sure. you uh, taking some time to talk to me on the podcast. And uh, I'm excited to share this story. And and to get over and see these new locations. Now I've got something exciting to look forward to the next time I head down south. Absolutely. Thank you for allowing me to tell a little bit of our story, my story. You know, let's keep it going. 
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. We are nearing the end of Season 2 with only one more episode after this. But the brainstorming for Season 3 has already begun. If you've been enjoying this program, please consider leaving a tip or purchasing a subscription at RoastWestCoast.com or on our Anchor homepage. Your support really helps grow the show and allows us to continue creating this coffee content. Subscribe now on RoastWestCoast.com or on the Anchor Podcast homepage. And now, back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. A big thank you to Mike for joining me on the show. While we chatted, he was in the storeroom at one of Mostra's locations, and you can just hear the sounds of the cafe in the background. I love that. Mike was pretty matter-of-fact when he mentioned that he worked as a chef at a Michelin star level, but that is a really big deal. So big, they made an entire Hollywood movie about it starring Bradley Cooper. So instead of vocab today, I'm going to do a quick breakdown of the Michelin stars, which have a unique origin. They were introduced in 1900 by the Michelin Tire Company. Michelin Tire began publishing their annual Michelin Guide to Local Attractions in an effort to get more people interested in driving cars for leisure, and by extension, create more demand for Michelin Tires. It was actually a pretty innovative marketing plan, and it worked. The guides became incredibly popular, especially their anonymous reviews of famous European restaurants. They would bestow stars upon restaurants who met the highest standards for quality, service, and experience. But in a twist, restaurants could also lose a star if they failed to continue their efforts at service or quality, or if there was a change in the staff. Today, the Michelin star is still very influential, and it can make the career of a chef. Getting one star is considered an achievement. Getting a second star means a restaurant is exceptional. And achieving three, which is the most that can be received, is incredibly difficult and meant to indicate that unlike a trip in which you might stop at a well-regarded restaurant, a three-star restaurant is the destination. It is so good it is worth traveling for. For example, in California, to start the year, there were only six three-star restaurants in the entire state, And that is out of an estimated 1.8 million restaurants. That is the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast for today. Thank you for listening. On Friday, my friend, my coffee sensei, Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle, will be back for the very last episode of Season 2 to give us his thoughts on domestic coffee farming and our relationship with our cups of coffee and in some breaking coffee news, some news that is frankly just exciting to me personally, Chris just told me, that Coffee Cycle is going to be expanding into coffee roasting. I have always believed that the team at Coffee Cycle brews and crafts some of the very best cups of coffee in all of Southern California, and to hear that they are going to be bringing that same laser focus to roasting coffee is awesome. If you have coffee questions, please feel free to reach out through roastwestcoast.com or on social media at Roast West Coast on the Instagram and the Facebook or join the Roast West Coast group on Facebook to swap stories and ask questions of other coffee appreciators. As always, thank you for sharing this show with your friends, and be sure to support the Roast Industry Legacy Partners, including Coffee Cycle and Moster Coffee, as well as Marea Coffee, Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Steady State Roasting, Cafe La Terre, Cape Horn Coffee, and First Light Whiskey. You will find links to all of the show's Roast Industry Legacy Partners, right on the front of RoastWestCoast.com or in this episode's show notes wherever you happen to be listening. This episode of the Roast West Coast podcast was written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt, and I hope that this show has found you happy, healthy, 
and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And please, always be sure to drink good coffee.